I'm going to pray. Becky's going to make her way up. Father, um, thank you for the time that you give us this week to spend in your word. Lord, thank you that you've brought us here together. For those of us um, that are still struggling with some of the things that we read this week, Lord, we pray for clarity. We pray for um, your word to become very real and palpable. And, And Lord, if nothing else, will you just remind us that you're here? Will you remind us that you care about every detail, no matter what the circumstance, Father? We thank you for your son, and um, we thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, guess what, guys? Becky's here. Yay, Becky! Wow, you have an entourage, too. You're so amazing. So um, last week, you got to hear from Jessica. This week, you get to hear from Becky. Um, and you're going to love it, because we did this last night. But I just wanted to um, introduce Becky. Becky is our RHP for the morning, which stands for right-hand person, because Chris needs many right-hand people, obviously at least two. Um, Becky is behind the scenes doing all the things and loving you well and taking care of your leaders in a way that um, is just, it's just like inspiring. I could cry, but I'm just glad she's here and has chosen to, what did, Be- what did Jessica call it? Not volunteer, voluntold. voluntold. I got to voluntold. Hold that which means just say yes. Oh, which means just say yes. So she got voluntold that she's going to get to uh, share her soap story this week. So tell us, Becky, first of all, which day of the homework you're going to share with us. I chose day four. Day four. So if you have it in your book, you want to turn to it or not, whatever. Um, What title did you give day four, Becky? I titled it that you may know what is the hope, but I did not get the title until the very last, until after the prayer. So, Wow. That's very awesome. So what is the title again? Say it one more time. That you may know what is the hope. What is the hope. So day four, what scripture um, jumped out at you for this soap day? Um, I did 16 through 19 because um, it seemed to me that it listed five uh, specific things that uh, Paul prayed that God would give to them. So I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. I love that. And just so y'all know, I'm looking at her paper. She has them all numbered, like in the text. So I love that, that you did that so that you could see exactly what they were. Um, okay, so what observations did you find? Well, first, that struck struck me that they were very specific requests on Paul's prayed very specific requests on their behalf. Um, that he was thankful for them because of their faith in Jesus and their love toward the saints, the other believers. Um, and then I saw two things that kind of um, seemed intertwined to me: um, the thanksgiving and prayer. Um, He had said, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. And so um, in some other scriptures, actually other writings to uh, other churches, um, he, in 1 Thessalonians, he said um, that he prayed for them without ceasing. It said, pray, pray without ceasing, giving thanks in all circumstances. So I saw that he saw prayer and thanksgiving as very um, intertwined. Um, and then I started seeing the word hope and, um, you know, and that became my title. And so I also looked up that word in another, in his letter to Titus. And it said that, um, there Paul talks about waiting for the blessed hope, which is the glorious appearing of our God and savior, Jesus Christ. So, that the hope is not just a wish, hmm. like we sometimes think of it, but that it is the per- hope. Our hope is the person of Christ. I love that. I love, too, that you brought out a, the letter to the Thessalonians and then also Titus. So how did you find those? Well, this happened to be a day when I had time to do some of the optional day. And so um, you, you had given us some words to look up, and I chose different ones. She ignored that suggestion. So I did... Um, hope and ceasing and um, so those are the words that I looked up and then found the other um, references. Cool. Um, Application. What application did you find and will you apply? Um, Well, um, 
I kind of also went back to day one because it was a day I had time. And there it said that God, um, well, first of all, Paul had said, waiting for the blessed hope, which is Christ. And on day one, um, it said, um, God, we, it called um, God the blessed. Mm -hmm. And so God blesses us because he is the blessed. And he said in Genesis 12, I will bless you and you will be a blessing. So that just made me want to be a blessing. And um, I want the spirit of wisdom, his wisdom that he prayed for um, the church. I want the eyes of my heart enlightened. I want to be thankful and I want to be a faithful prayer. And I want to pray specific requests for those for whom I pray. Awesome. Well, with that, um, how did you close out your day? What prayer did you write? God, you are amazing. I am overshadowed by your personal love, by your powerful word. I came to this day with more than a little self-inflicted anxiety, aware that Tommy, my husband, would imminently be losing his job. I thought I was prepared for this, and then I left the what ends, what ifs sneak in. What if we have serious medical needs and insufficient insurance, etc., etc., etc.? But you, out of these words, hope left leapt off the page and into my heart, the eyes of my heart truly enlightened, as I literally looked up and read the plaque on the wall in front of me, your promise from so long ago, for I know the plans that I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. And then the words... My favorite verse in all the Bible came to me. Um, again, the words of Paul. And we have this hope, which is Christ Jesus, as an anchor for our souls, secure and steadfast. I love you, Lord. Becky. Thanks, Becky. I love that... Um, not only did God show her cool stuff, you know, because he does that, and I'm, I'm sure some of you have experienced that. I mean, you all rolled in a little late to, to lecture, so I'm assuming he's showing you cool stuff. But I love the fact that he makes it so personal, right? Like Becky um, was able to see not only is this awesome, this beautiful prayer that, that Paul prays at the end, but it means something to me personally in my life in this moment. And so I hope you're finding the same thing. Um, that's my prayer for you. Um, okay, with that. If you have your Bibles, open up to Ephesians 1. We're going to take a look at the chapter that you covered in homework this week. Ephesians 1. There's also a page in there if you guys want to take some notes. And like I said, or you just want to draw or you want to take a nap. I mean, whatever. It's fine. Ephesians 1. Last week... Um, we went through, we went through like pretty much the whole book of Acts. Amen. Everybody, I mean, that was a lot, right? Did you, did you like that this week we just had little smaller little chunks of, of scripture? Yeah. Um, that's what's going to be fun as we continue on through Ephesians is we get to really just kind of savor everything in smaller pieces and really kind of see um, what God has us to know from Paul's words. Um, last week we talked about Paul's timeline, right? We talked about um, how God took this guy, this guy that collected um, robes and, and was probably the rock holder for the people that were stoning Stephen. He was a big deal. Um, he was a Pharisee, and he was not a believer in Jesus. In fact, he was trying to chase down, kill, and, and jail those who were. And then Damascus. Then the road to Damascus, and everything changed, right? So he's transformed on the road to Damascus, and then we got to kind of look at his whole life and all the journeys he went on and all the things that he did, and then the end, a death as a martyr, as a 70-year-old man in Rome. We also talked about four truths, that just in that little bit amount of time that we got to uh, look at Paul's life, there was four things that we talked about that kind of came to the surface. Remember what they were? We talked about how that we can choose to live God's praises no matter what our circumstances and Becky kind of, she kind of reiterated all that as I was sitting here listening. That's what I thought of is like she's choosing to live God's praises despite difficult circumstances. We talked about how uh, every saint matters to the story. Remember our homie Ananias? Like he's my guy. I, I had opportunity. I say opportunity. I mean like God like kind of cracked a whip on me this week where I got to be an Ananias. I got to be available in a situation that I, I wasn't really excited about. I don't know how you felt 
um, this week as you moved forward? Did you see those moments where you got to do that? Um, I, I, I remember the third thing was we talked about that there's no person or situation that's hopeless. No person or situation that's hopeless. And lastly, that God wastes nothing. That God takes these moments in our lives, and even when we can't understand them, and there's mystery behind that, which we'll talk about that word in a few minutes, that God doesn't waste opportunity. And so this week, we open up the letter, and we look at, at the first words, and I love, I don't know if you guys felt this way, but for me, as I was studying, I was like, okay, I love that I know so much about Paul, because it helped me kind of walk through what he was saying and kind of picture him. Like, I'm already kind of, there's like a caricature in my mind about how he's communicating and how he's doing things and what his motives are. And so um, we're going to take a look at this, at this chapter, and we're going to break it into three parts. The first part we're going to talk about is the greeting. It's the very beginning. It's the salutation, if you will. It's the first couple of verses. Then we're going to talk about the message, the main message of this chapter, and that's, that's verses 3 through 14. And then lastly, we're going to look at the prayer Paul prays before he takes us into chapter 2, and that's in verses 15 through 23. So if you have your Bibles, take a look at Ephesians 1. And the way I'm going to go about this, for the most part, I'm going to read little portions of it, and then I'm going to stop and talk and say some stuff, okay? I know you've read this a lot. I mean, I'm sure you all have it memorized by now, right? Everybody's like, yeah, no, we don't. Um, but it, sometimes it's good to reread it again, right, and listen and, and think about it in context of all of it being one big piece together. So, so we're going to start that way. So the first thing we're going to cover is the greeting, Paul's greeting. Verses 1 and 2, they go like this. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, Grace to you and peace from our Father, from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I, I, I won't spend a ton of time here because a lot of it's obvious, but here's what's so cool. I hope you get this. Every word in this thing matters. Every word in this book matters. I love that in two verses we got a guy just basically saying, hey, I'm writing you a letter and here's who I am. But already there's, there's huge truth that we need to hear. The first is this. Paul calls himself what? An apostle. He calls himself an apostle. It's a specific term that Jesus himself used when he called his 12. Do you know that? In Luke 6, 12 through 13, that's what the he uses that term. And so Paul's adopting this term. The message said it this way. I don't know if y'all looked it up um, this week in that optional stuff. But I loved how it said that, that Paul was a special agent for Jesus Christ. I mean, that should be like a, you know, like a name tag, right? Like he could wear that. Special agent. He was specifically chosen and called to teach with authority for Jesus Christ's purposes. He didn't volunteer, and the church didn't appoint him. He was an apostle. I love that. It goes on to tell us who he's writing to, to the saints who are in Ephesus. Remember, the word saints means set apart. Don't be confused by that word because you're going to see it a lot. We're going to talk about it a little bit today. But that word didn't mean some high elevated religious figures. It instead meant those who were set apart because of their belief in Jesus Christ. So I got good news. Look at each other and say, you're a saint. I'm not. I was going to wait until you did it. Yeah. I mean, that's good news, right? If there's nothing else we take out of here. If you know Jesus is your savior, this is how he looks at you. A saint. Set apart. Different. Well, we know, too, that um, this particular sentence to the saints who are in Ephesus, three of the earliest manuscripts leave that out, okay? That doesn't change the meaning of anything in this letter. It maybe intends to, I mean, it maybe infers to us that possibly that it was intended to be a circular letter rather than specifically to the church at Ephesus, but we don't know for sure. But just know it doesn't change the meaning of anything. And lastly, the thing I want to show you, well, second to last, is that he says those terms, and I spoke about this a little bit in your, in your homework, that he says, what does he say when he, when he greets them? He says two words to them, grace and peace. Grace and peace. Paul's taking this opportunity, guys. I mean, we're two sentences in, and he's taking opportunity to show that Jesus Christ came to unite. Jesus Christ came to die for everyone, the Jews and the Gentiles. He takes two greetings and merges them together and Christianizes them. You like that? Key words you're going to see often in the book of Ephesians. 
grace and peace. And lastly, this, this, this is what I just I kind of flooded over me this week that was new to me. Do you realize when you read that, just in the course of these two sentences, he uses the term of Christ, in Christ, and from Christ. Of Christ, in Christ, from Christ. Paul is dominated. He's, he's dominated in his mind and his heart and his vision by Jesus Christ. We're going to see over the course of this one chapter that the words Jesus are mentioned 15-ish times. We're going to see he uses the term in him like 11 times. It's like every single opportunity he gets, he's speaking about Jesus. And immediately I thought, oh, does he dominate my mind, my heart, and my vision? I can't always say yes. Paul He's dominated by Jesus Christ. We move into the bulk of what this first chapter is, and this is his message, verses 3 through 14. I have to tell you something hilarious about this. As I started studying about this one portion, um, essentially this is his message for why we were made to praise and what we're made to praise. And so it's important. I mean, it's, he barely starts the letter, and he's like, I've got to say this right up front. This is real super important because if you shut that letter, I want you to hear this. But this is what's hilarious. <laughs> In the original Greek, are you ready for this? This portion, verses 13 through 14, was, ready? One sentence. One sentence. It was 202 words. He was pumped up. (laughs) I've heard it explained a couple of different ways. I I sat here, I probably spent way too much time listening to people talk about this section. But one, one commentator said, he writes like a tremendous machine. One guy said it's a continuous cascade of words. Another guy said, which I thought that was pretty good, it's a snowball tumbling down a hill, picking up volume as it descends. Amen? And then this was, seemed, seemed very, um, this, was, this was the spirited description of this section. A long-winded racehorse careening onward at full speed. Anybody else feel that way? Like I read this and I'm like, there is no punctuation. There are no pauses. What is he doing? This is killing my grammar mind. Um, remember too, like this, this is what made me pause. Like when these letters were sent, you know how they were communicated? It wasn't like somebody went in the other room and made a copy and passed out papers. The, people were reading these letters. I bet they were like, Paul, brother, what? I don't even understand. There's so much words. Anyway, the thing I thought, remember how we kept hearing over and over last week that Paul would preach what? How did he preach? Boldly. He preached boldly. I love this because to me, we got Paul. Remember, he's writing while he's imprisoned in Rome, remember? He's not behind bars necessarily. He's, he's imprisoned in home, but he's shackled to a guard and he's limited in what, his, what he can do. And so he's writing to us with the same fervor and boldness and excitement that he had when he was preaching boldly just after he was converted on the road to Damascus. I love that. That's Paul. He's crazy. Well, he knows this. He knows this, that we were made for praise. We were made for, for praise. Think on that for just a second. You're sitting here like, I don't know. I don't. Okay, let me ask you this. Is anybody a concert groupie? I am, if you know me. I follow a band around a lot. Concert groupies. Hey, do you have football jerseys? Do you know people that paint their faces for games and stuff? Do you have stickers on your car that tell the world what brands and bands and places you adore? Or maybe like little stick families or something? Yeah? What about Netflix series or reality TV stars or a coffee drink? That I mean, come on. A coffee drink. We live to worship a lot of things in this world. You know, when I wrote out those things, I was kind of laughing, kind of laughing, because I relate to a lot of that. And then I realized something. We replace, we replace appreciation for worship, don't we, in this world. There's so many things that we praise and we worship instead of just appreciating. So the Ephesians were the same way. So remember, when Paul's writing to these people, he's writing to this church in, in Ephesus. And, and at the time, um, idol worship was what was going on in Ephesus. There was, that was actually where they developed the actual physical idols. And so in Ephesus, they could worship idols and emperors. The question is, is the same for them as it is for us. Not, do I worship? The question is, who do I worship? What do I worship? That's why Paul needed to get this message out in the very first part of the letter. He wants us to understand that there are reasons for praise, and they are not coffee drinks and bands we follow or idols or emperors. 
Three things that he knows that we need to understand. One is this, that we are chosen by God the Father. We are chosen by God the Father. The second is we are redeemed by Jesus the Son. And the third is that we are sealed by the Holy Spirit. And so this is where we're going to spend most of our time is in this little section right here. And, and um, I'm going to do my very best to kind of move quickly, but also cover all three of those aspects. So starting in verse 3, we're going to look at how he explains to us that we were chosen by the Father. Chosen by the Father. Now, before I even read this part, I want you to think about something. Sometimes, oftentimes, you're going to encounter Scripture, and we will through Ephesians. Like, there's lots of little spots that, that I already know. Well, I don't know, but for me, they're trouble spots. Where things, I'm like, I say, what? Like, mm, I don't, mm, that bothers me, or I don't understand that, right? So here's what I want to, I want to encourage you. And if you write nothing else on your paper, write this down. I'm going to encourage you to approach Scripture this way. And you can universally approach it this way. Number one, ask yourself, what does it say? What does it actually say, not what does it not say? Because there's a lot that it doesn't say. What does it say? The second thing is this, what do you know, not what do you feel? What do you know? So what does it say? What do we know? You'll see how we apply that as we go through this section. Okay, so chosen by the Father. Let me read this little section, three, three verses, verse 3 through 6, and then we're going we're gonna to break it down a little bit more, okay? Verse 3, here's Paul. Okay, remember, no pausing, no punctuation. So y'all just be nice. If I pass out, somebody come resuscitate. I'm going to try to move fast like our Paul. Verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. One big, long sentence. And here's how we're going to break this thing down. Let's take a look at a couple of things we learn about God the Father in these three verses. There's four things that I, that I located. One is this. Notice that God is the subject of almost every main verb in this section. He's the subject, okay? Meaning he's the one who's doing the things, okay? He's taking the action. He refers to him as God and the Father of Jesus. I love that. You know why I love that? Because Paul knows his audience, he knows that while we're Gentiles and we're just hanging on every word of this whole Jesus thing, he has to constantly be reminded these Jews who have grown up understanding God the Father but having no idea that Jesus the Son is the Messiah that they've been looking for. So he reminds them. He's God, but he's also the Father of Jesus, your Messiah. He, he then tells us, like I said, he says, I did all the work. God did, I mean, excuse me, God did all the work. He blessed us in Christ. He blessed us with spiritual blessings. He chose us. He predestined us in adoption. God is the subject. The second is this. God elects or chooses. Sometimes in your, in your Bible, my Bible says chooses. Your Bible might say elect. You may see those words interchangeably. He chose us in him, verse 4. He chose us in him. Us, us. If you believe in Jesus as your Savior, he chose you. In him, that's Jesus. The him is Jesus. When, when did he choose us? What does it say? Before the foundation of the earth. Before the foundation. Okay, so are you like, wait, what? Like, I just, I just found Jesus. Like, I just found him. Girl, he found you so long ago. Before anything was even developed, he found you. I love that. Don't be frustrated or confused by that. Be thankful for that. He chose us before the foundation of the earth. It wasn't chance. It wasn't a coincidence. It wasn't a surprise. It wasn't um, game playing or a backup plan. God had a plan, and it was you. The thing that's interesting about this word choice, this word God chose when we start talking about predestined adoption. Okay, we're going to get into that a little bit more in a minute. The word choose can trip some people up. Some of us, like me, I'm like, I don't care. He chose me. Amen. Thank you. 
thank you for choosing me. I don't care when you chose me or how that came to be, but I'm just thankful that I, that I was chosen. But some people, that's a hard thing. That's a hard, okay, well, um, okay, Chris, if that's the case that God chose us, does that mean that he didn't choose everybody? If that's the case, um, does that mean that we have no part in the decision? You say we accept Jesus as our Savior. If that's the case, if he's God, this is a hard one. If he is God, can he fix all the mess and just poof, make it right? Can he do that? Can he just make everyone right? Can't he um, choose to not allow Adam and Eve to mess the whole thing up in the first place? I mean, couldn't he do that? I would, I would answer, yeah, he could. He could do that. I, I don't have a lot of the answers for what choice means and what elect necessarily means in this passage, but we're going to go back to what I said in the beginning. We're going to look at what does it actually say and what do we actually know. The first thing, and I'm, going to, I'm pressing pause on Ephesians for a minute because I just want to share a little something so you understand a little bit about our God. Pressing pause. Does God choose? Does God elect in the Bible? Yes. The Bible is riddled with election, okay? Let me give you some examples. Creation. Genesis 1. God is creating. You know what he decided? He decided in his Godhead that I'm going to, you know what, I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to create this thing. He didn't consult. He didn't have a committee. God chose and creation occurred. Also in Genesis 12, God chose a guy. He chose a guy to bring blessing to the nations of the world. He chose Abraham. There were other guys, but he chose Abraham. He also chose the nation of Israel to be a light to other nations. Were there other nations? Were there other people groups? Yeah. Does that make sense to me? No. I don't know why he chose them and didn't choose them. I have no idea. But I do know in Deuteronomy 7 and 14 and Isaiah 42 and in Luke 9 that it says God chose Israel. Uh, there's this other guy in John chapter 15. His name was Jesus. And he came to this earth and he was God and he walked among the people. And you know what he did? You know what one of the first things he did in his ministry was? He chose some guys. He chose 12 guys in John 15, 16 to come and follow him and ultimately spread the word of who Jesus was through the entire world. He chose them. Paul adds about that in 1 Corinthians 1, 28 through 29. I love this. Paul says that God chooses what is insignificant and despised in the world so that no one can boast in his presence. You know, there's a, there's a plan. Like there, there's an idea. There's a thought. There's, there's, there's this whole preconceived thing that's going on that you have no idea and can't possibly understand. And he also chose Paul, didn't he? He chose a guy riding on a horse going to take down Christians, and he chose him to be a chosen instrument and spread the word of Jesus to the Gentile nation. He chose him. So does God choose? Yeah, man, God chooses in the Bible over and over and over. What does this mean here? Well, I will tell you this. There is a mystery about God. There is a mystery. Anybody ever experienced it? If you've ever dwelled in the I don't know, you're, you're digging into the mystery of God. The way I look at it is this, that there are things that are hidden that Chris doesn't get to know. You know what? And that's actually pretty great news, let's be honest, because I'm a real bad God. And if everything that I knew was what happened and the way God was motivated, we'd be in trouble, guys. There's mystery. Um, I think about uh, life. I think about yesterday was 9-11, you know, and um, I don't know personally anyone who, who was lost in that horrible thing. But you know what I do know? I know that I've had 9-11s, not to minimize what that was, but in my world, things where everything fell apart and there was nothing good that could come from it, right? Impossible. Have you had those things? Have you, had to, have you had to experience the mystery of God in ways that you didn't want to have to experience? You know, I, I've said it before, and if you know me, you know this about me, because this is absolutely part of my testimony. Testimony meaning my story. And when I was 15 years old, my dad died, and he, 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 he died very suddenly. He killed himself, and it was not okay, and there was nothing good about it, and nothing good could come from something that horrible. Nothing but yet, 
all those unanswered whys of why that happened. God, why? How could you let this happen? It's like I am 100 million years old now, a little bit older than 15. And now every day of my life, I'm not exaggerating. There's these moments where it's like God going, hey, remember when that happened and you didn't understand why and you still hung? Remember when that happened? I'm still making things happen from it. You know, three days after my dad died, my brother was locked in a dark room with one of our youth pastors, and he accepted Jesus as his Savior. You know, like a month later after that, my sister-in-law sitting beside my brother, weeping and crying, accepted Jesus Christ as her Savior. You know, they went on to do youth ministry, and people came to know Jesus because of these two. You know, on the day that my dad died and I was at Young Life Camp and having the time of my life and, and then everything fell apart and nothing good comes from something this ugly, ugly and terrible that I met the man that would be my husband. Okay, I'm not playing games here. I don't mess around with worshiping a God who's about coincidences and chance. I'm worshiping a God who's about mystery because he could have never told me a day before this happened that even all these years later, I'd still see this mystery unfolding in my life and still see the fruit from something that was horrible and terrible and unexplainable. Do you have those things in your life that don't make sense? The mystery of God. It's a real thing. Well, Sometimes we don't get the answers to why, right? Like sometimes we just don't. And, and this is a perfect situation. Why does God choose what he chooses? Why and when and how? Well, I don't really know. Um, but I will tell you this. The third point that I would bring your attention to is that God is sovereign. That God is sovereign. Excuse me. God has adopted us. God adopted us. That's the third point. God adopted us. In verse 4, you see that he predestined our adoption in what? What does it say? What does it say? In love. You know, I said before, we can rely on what the Bible says. We can rely on what we know. You know what we know about our God? That he's a God of love. And that he loved us so much, he predestined. You know the word predestined? It doesn't mean just like, oh, okay, I just like made this decision. I'm just going to like adopt her. No, he beforehand, he gained these rights and privileges for this person and made the decision to give this person sonship. I am choosing that one in love. God adopted us. Through adoption, we gain everything that the Father has. We gain an inheritance. You saw that word. You looked it up a little bit this week, right? But what's so cool is like the inheritance thing, that's not like just a tangible, you know, piece of whatever. This is actually a living, breathing thing. Inheritance is heritage. Inheritance is legacy. Inheritance is bestowed on the son in the moment that he accepts Jesus, that he's adopted in. You know, think about, again, who Paul's talking to here. You've got the Jewish people and you've got the Gentile people. If it weren't for adoption, the Gentile people wouldn't have a chance to meet with God. That's us. So before the foundations of time, he knew that he was in love, going to adopt us into this beautiful idea of salvation and bring us to him. Sounds like a good plan to me even if I don't understand all the details. The fourth thing that we learn from this section is this, that God is sovereign, that God is sovereign. You know, I kind of spoke a little bit about that, like the struggle people have with the idea of God predestined um, certain people as adopted into um, Christianity or the idea that God chooses certain people is the fact that we wrestle with the idea of God's so sovereign, if he can do anything he wants, well, what do I have to do with it? If God is so sovereign, what's my responsibility in the decision of believing in Jesus for salvation? Well, Spurgeon says this. He's a real smart Bible guy, in case you wanted to know. When he was asked that question, how do you reconcile God's sovereignty with man's responsibility? His quote was this, I never reconcile two friends because they go hand in hand. Whatever you believe, wherever you stand on whether or not um, um, you had any, any say in if you were saved or not, they go hand in hand. I was speaking with Destin out there. He's our um, youth pastor, and he said, you know, I look at it like this. God's sovereignty and, and man's responsibility, it's like a two-sided coin. It's like you got to have them both. Um, not going too deep down this road, but I did want to share with you. A lot of people have opinions on this, and they consider themselves 
Calvinists, or they consider themselves Arminianism followers, or what, whatever they would be called. Um, you know, and there's a lot of people that are like, "Hey, man, I just don't know. I just love God, and I'm gonna I'm gonna dwell on the I don't know." And that's kind of, I kind of I'm kind of more like that. I don't really have a, a position, but I wanted to share with you if you're interested in this. This is kind of I found this interesting um, when you when you talk about these two positions and these two opinions about choice about God's choice. This is kind of the two polar, polarizing opinions, and it goes like this. Number one is the Arminianism, and it goes like this. Man is at the bottom of a pit, and he can't get out, okay? God is outside the pit, and he throws down a rope to the guy. And then the guy sees the rope and holds on to it, and God pulls him out. So God sees him, chooses him, rescues him. But man has to walk to the rope. The second point of view is, is Calvinism. And this is super duper dumbed down, simplified, okay? And it goes like this. Man is at the bottom of the pit and he's dead. God sees the man. He has compassion on the man. He climbs down into the pit. God climbs a rope, puts the lifeless body over his shoulder and carries him out. Then he breathes life into him. And the Chris point of view says this. I don't care how I get out of the pit. Just get me out. Just get me out. And it's okay to have that position. It's actually kind of great. Listen, I, I, if you go to church here, you've heard Ron say this before. There are things in, in our teaching and, in, and how we um, understand the Bible and how we listen to interpretations and things, but they kind of fall into three categories. There's tenets. And there's teachings and there's taste. And they kind of make this pyramid, okay? And, and at the very top of the pyramid is the tenets. Okay, these are the non-negotiables. If you're sitting in here today and you come up to me and go, yeah, you know, I just don't know if Jesus was actually God's son. I'd be like, well, you're actually wrong because this is truth. And when we in this church, what we believe and what we believe and know to be true is, is the sovereignty of who God is. The fact that he took his son, sent him down to earth to live and to die to save us. And then he went back up to be at the right hand of God. That is a non-negotiable. Those are things that we don't negotiate on, tenants. Those things we don't move on, okay? Now, there's another section called teachings. And, and those are things like what we're talking about here. Ah, do I feel like God threw down the rope or do I feel like he climbed out with me out of the pit? I don't know. Do you fully submerge in your baptism or do you sprinkle? Does your pastor, like, wear a robe because it's like a thing? or does it, I don't know. They're, they're, just, they're things that are teachings that don't impact the tenets of our faith. Okay? They're differences of opinions. We've got a lot of women in here from different churches, and I guarantee you, if I were to ask each one of you, what do you think about baptism and what does it mean? We would all have different opinions, and guess what? At the end of the day, we'd all high-five and go to Corner Bakery and eat, eat lunch. It'd be fine. Now, tastes are at the very bottom of the pyramid, and those are the things like, um, do I get wigged out when my pastor has torn jeans on? Which is like a real thing. <laughs> People do. It's fine. It's cool if you do. Then maybe your taste is just that you prefer to go to a church where he's wearing a suit or a robe or some other thing. Okay? Maybe you don't like, um, you, you know, the jamming out, you know, drum set and the, and the guitars and everything. You prefer a choir. Or you prefer. So see, those are just really preferences. But so much of our time as believers is we get caught up, don't we, in all the differences. And we get so focused on, well, I believe differently than you believe. And I need to be right and you are wrong. Well, you know what God says? He says what Chris says. I don't care how you, I want you out of the pit, man. So don't allow that to happen. I believe 100%. I believe that the enemy does that to us. I believe the enemy is going to take anything he can do to take our eyes off of the tenants, the things that really matter, and get us focused on our differences and the things that really just don't. He's going to do it because he can't get our souls, right? If we believe in Jesus, he can't get our souls, but what he can do is make us divisive and hateful. Okay, off my, off my soapbox. What do we know? We know that when we're in doubt, we can rely on not what we feel, but we can rely on what we know, and that's the character of God. He's creative. He's in control. He's a promise keeper. He's a plan maker. He's trustworthy. He's just. He's loving. He's mysterious. He's timeless. He's protective. He's sacrificial. He's always present. Romans 9, 20 says this, and this is the message version. I love it. Who in the world do you think you are to second-guess God? Should be a t-shirt. Who in the world do you think you are to second guess God? He goes on in that passage to say when he quotes Hosea, which is a book on the Old Testament, he quotes Hosea this way. He says, 
I'll call nobodies and I'll make them somebodies. You know, I, I think back to the mystery of God in my life. And I'll tell you what, like I, I think about oh, all the dark, terrible things that happen in our lives that we cannot make sense of and we don't understand. But you know what's happening in the midst of it behind the scenes that we sometimes never get to see? God is making nobodies into somebodies. Amen. He is bringing people to know him through things that I wouldn't choose. I'm a bad God. He's a good God. He's the one who took action. He chose us. He adopted us. And he's sovereign. That's what Paul wants us to understand in those first few verses. Well, he goes on in um, verses 7 through 10, and he talks about the Son and how we're redeemed through Jesus. Now, remember I told you like a million bazillion times he keeps saying Jesus. I bet the people were like, dude, chill with the Jesus thing. Well, hey, he spent all this time of his life before he was a believer in Jesus Christ hanging out, talking, teaching, learning with, with, with the Jews. And so he wants to make it very clear here what we're talking about. We're talking about Jesus Christ as the Messiah, as the Son of God who's come to earth. Over and over he says it. So verses 7 through 10 go like this. In him, in Jesus, we have redemption. Through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, which is essentially sin. Okay, And when you see the word sin, all that means is separation from God. Okay, Don't get all hung up on a laundry list of what sin is. Okay? In him we have forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. Pause. Who loves that word? I won't be lavished with good stuff. Okay, I'm back. All right, let's get back to this. Which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will. There's that word mystery. According to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Redeemed by the son. You're adopted by choice. Sonship begins. You get the inheritance the minute you accept him. The first thing he tells us is that we are redeemed. You know what that word, you know the foundation of that word is? It actually comes from um, the idea of being liberated from being imprisoned or in bondage. It specifically goes to the terms of slavery, meaning there's a price that has to be paid for this person to be out of prison, for this person to be out of bondage, redeemed. That word took on a new meaning for me this week. You know, when you go back to the Old Testament, way back in Exodus 15, um, Israel, the whole, remember I said the chosen nation of Israel, God's people. So like they're getting delivered out and they're singing songs of praise when they get delivered through the Red Sea. You see, they saw God do this amazing miracle and love them well and take care of them well. And so what did they do? They sang songs of praise. But he's rescued and released us from bondage too, Right? Do we sing his praises? I, I don't know, man. I don't think I do enough. If I, if I believe what I say I believe, am I singing his praises because he released me from the bondage of the slavery of this world? The second thing we learn about being redeemed by the Son, the fact that we are redeemed by the Son, is that we are forgiven our trespasses. And remember I just mentioned that that means sins. It's a rescue from a just judgment. Note, it doesn't mean that, um, that, that you stop sinning. Okay, so if anybody told you, hey, accept Jesus, and you're going to be like, perfect. Everything's going to be like awesome. You're going to be rich. You're going to have all this thing. Okay, they're lying to you. Run from that person. It's just, it's just not true. Forgiveness of sins means, hey, guess what? Good news. All the things you did, all the things you're doing, all the things you're doing five seconds when you pull out of the parking lot, amen? Because let's be real. All the things that are going to happen, you've been forgiven for all of those things. It's hard for us to wrap our brain around. He lavished us with grace. The way he forgave us is this. Grace, you get what you don't deserve. Do you deserve grace? No. No offense. Be offended. You don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. We're a mess, guys. Grace, getting something you don't deserve. Mercy, he gives us mercy, not getting what we do deserve. Well, being redeemed by the Son also means that I spoke about the mystery of God and how there are things that we don't understand. There are things that we don't get answers to this side of heaven. Amen? 
But maybe, just maybe, sometimes he just throws us a bone. Like for me, in my 9-11 of my life, he throws me a bone. People come up to me and they say, hey, you know what? I knew your dad. And they give me some beautiful little nugget of something that I get to hold on to. And that's God saying, I'm just going to give you just enough so that you trust me. That all of that, that terrible, horrible 9-11 of your life, I was doing stuff the whole time. And I knew it was coming. Well, the mystery sometimes he reveals, and it even says right here in Ephesians, how cool that he says the mystery of his will, his purpose is revealed. It's like a little wisp of it, right? It's set forth in Jesus, and that is unity. We talked about it a moment ago. Now, because of Jesus, only because of Jesus, we have unity between the Israelites, God's chosen people, And these Gentiles who have been destined forever since the foundation of time to be adopted into this whole thing. Thank you for adoption. Redeemed, forgiven, and purpose revealed. The last thing he tells us about in this section is verses 11 through 14. He tells us about the promise of the Holy Spirit. And um, I love, I mean, did you notice, like, this is very intentional, our Paul he, he's very, he's sharing the Trinity with us. I mean, guys, you know, I don't know about you, but I think he, in my opinion, he's getting so crazy and excited because he's thinking, hey, if they don't read all this, if a big truck comes and knocks this person down, I want them to have the truth from the very beginning. This is all that matters is this. Chosen by the Father, redeemed by the Son, and lastly, sealed by the Holy Spirit. Verses 11 through 14 go like this. In him, we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purposes of him who works all things according to his counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and what? Believed in him were sealed with the promise, Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. To the praise of his glory. Listen, here's what you need to understand about this whole Holy Spirit thing. What does this say? It says this. Number one, there is an inheritance. First Peter 1, 3 through 4. Peter says when he describes it, this inheritance is imperishable, uncorruptible, and unfading and kept in heaven. The other part is, is it kind of goes back to what we talked about before, that two-sided coin, right? That the sovereignty of God, that, that's a thing. But you know what else? We need to believe We need to make the choice when he's choosing to, like Paul said in Philippians, apprehend us, that we drop down and say, yes, Lord. We take action. We believe. Sealed is the word that's used when he's talking about the Holy Spirit. And he talks about when does the Holy Spirit come on us. Hey, man, you want to talk about mystery? Let's talk about Holy Spirit for a little while. That is mysterious. That is like, what is what in the world? But here's what we know. What do we know? What does the Bible say? It says this, that we are sealed with the Holy Spirit once we believe. So sealed at this time, it's one of those things where you got to know your audience. He knows his audience. They would understand what this means. To us, we're like, wait, what? I don't even know what that means. I send emails and texts. Well, they would have understood that something that's sealed has an official mark of identification or ownership on it. Okay? So when there's a letter or a contract or an official document, there's going to be a seal placed on it, a stamp that's placed on it. And usually, like, um, the real, the real officially guys, like the kingish kind of people, had like a signet ring and they would stamp. You know, you've seen that, right? Like in movies and stuff. Okay. So like they would stamp it on there and what they, were, what they were saying basically is this document is officially under the authority of the person who stamped the seal. Saying that we were sealed with the Holy Spirit wasn't just saying, yeah, and you get this extra bonus gift. It was like, no man, I own you. You are mine. The guarantee of the inheritance, it's irrevocable, immovable, impossible to renege on. You are sealed, non-refundable. Here's what I hope you, if nothing else, I think I said that already. Forget what I said before. This thing is what you need to know when you leave here today is this. I think this is, this is, this is an area that a lot of times we get confused because the world tells us things that are not true. We get confused about the fact that we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. And what I hope you leave here today understanding is that this is something that doesn't go away. And this is something that doesn't get taken away. And this is something that no matter what you do when you drive out of here today, no matter how deep and dark and big your sin is or your son's sin is or your husband's sin is or your coworker or your child or how far away they are from him, 
No sin is too big for the cross. And the minute we buy into the lie that um, this seal can be removed and peeled off because you're too messy and too dirty. We only like the clean sins. Like, you know, don't buy it. Run. It's lies. The words of Jesus himself in John 10 verses 27 through 30 are this. He's speaking here and talking about this very thing. And so we can take it and believe it because this is true. He says this, my sheep, who are his sheep? That's right. You can walk around bang or whatever. Okay. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Don't let the world tell you lies. If you've been sealed by the Holy Spirit and you believe in Jesus as your Savior, hey, you're good before him. Well, as usual, I'm running out of time. I did want to just say this in the last 30 seconds that I have. The last portion of this chapter, Paul praise. And Becky shared a little bit about that in her soap story. And I just want to encourage you to take a minute and notice that Paul, in all of his, you know, no punctuation, no pausing, no breathing, all that, he goes through this whole big thing and then he stops. And it's like I could hear him take a breath and go, and now I want to thank you, Lord. He breaks his prayer out into three parts. He prays uh, in thanksgiving. Remember, he mentions He's thankful for the people that are reading the letter because of two things. Do you remember what they were? Faith in the Lord and love for the saints. John, in John 13, Jesus talks about how they're going to know who we are because of the way we love. And, and Paul's saying that, I'm so thankful for you. So he starts his prayer with thankfulness. He moves into intercession. That's a fancy church word for ask. He starts asking God for things. He asks very specifically that we could know him better and that we could then know the blessings of his gospel better. Anybody want to know God better? Yeah. It's all we want, right? If we walk out of here today and we know him better, we can check this day off. Thank you, Lord. And the last thing he does is he praises God for Jesus. He praises God for the resurrection that saved us. He praises him for the fact that God is at the right hand right now. He praises him for his supremacy over everything. And he praises him for his headship of the church. Guys, Paul gives us a message and then he stops and he prays. Does Jesus dominate your mind and your heart and your vision? Whom do you worship? And do you pause and pray? We are one chapter in and already we're overwhelmed with truth. I cannot wait to see what's next. Let's pray. Father, um, I thank you so much for Paul, for his crazy, you know, bulldozing of, of the words. But Lord, I feel the urgency in his words, in his message. So God, may we all walk out of here today and not take this lightly. This is not light stuff. It's simple but it's heavy. And so God, today, we, um, if those, anybody in here doesn't know who you are, doesn't know how to understand that they were redeemed by a Jesus who came to this earth to die for every single one of us, Lord, I pray today that they, they um, talk to somebody or, or that becomes clear because now is the time to make those decisions. And so, Father, we, um, we just ask for you to be very clear with us. Where are those places in our lives that we need to focus where our praises are actually going, what the world sees? And, Lord, uh, and lastly, will you just give us those moments where we take a deep breath and we pause and we pray. We thank you for Paul. We can't wait to see what's next, God. In Jesus' name, amen.